Jewish studies teachers in schools around the world often struggle with the challenge of teaching students text skills. Decoding text, identifying shorashim, understanding word meaning, it's hard enough in English, but in Hebrew or Aramaic, it's a daunting task. But what if a Torah teacher had a learning tool that helped her engage her students with the Chumash material before they even walked into class? What if there was a learning tool that allowed a Rebbe to know which of his students had prepared the Mishnah and what specific parts of the material they found challenging? And what if that tool was digital, online, and totally customizable, allowing a Murat to have complete control over what and how her students were learning? Now, Judaic teachers can stop asking what if, because we built that tool. It's called Kita. To learn more and get a head start on planning for the coming school year, visit kita.org today. That's kita.org, K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, what happens in Israel, what happens in the Jewish community around the world. I'm here with Harab Johnny Solomon. Hello, Harab Johnny. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom. Harab Johnny Solomon is an educator. He's a teacher. He's a writer of curriculum. He has an online Beit Midrash that you should sign up for. I'm also here with Harab Manit Malibrovsky. Hello. Sorry. Hello. Mali. Hi. Malibrovsky is an educator, a social worker. And uh, my name is Ruben Spalter. I am the director of Kita.org, an online learning initiative. Uh, you can contact me to learn more about that or listen to our ad in between. Molly, I'm done. That's it. I, 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 <coughs> you're a social worker, so today I ask you, turn off the screen, take off your mitpachat, turn on your social work, put on your social work hat, and fix me. It's enough. <laughs> Because I'm just going to say it the way it is. Because so everybody sit back and enjoy this roommate Spolter's therapy session where Johnny and Molly are going to fix me. Because we're now into the 42nd week of the Seger, the closure that's no longer working. Right? There are, thank God, vaccines. But it's, for me, my sense of frustration boileth over because I, 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 I have to be honest, from a COVID perspective, so people who know me know, I don't, I, I don't mind saying this on, online, my, my job, my formal job, I lost it, my job in the end of May last year, but I've been working on, I developed this Kita and it's been rather great for me to, in order to move in different directions and develop something that's really, really exciting educationally and really is making a difference for families. So, and, and even financially, Baruch Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch who's watching out for me, and I'm not complaining about that. I'm really not, and, and we're, we're really good. But from an emotional perspective, when I see just people are done, they, they've given up, they're not listening to the rules, and when they don't listen to the rules, that means when the stagger continues, and, and even more than that, what, what's so dispiriting to me is that the, this, this unwillingness to listen to the rules, whether it's the Haredi community, for me mostly the Haredi community, but 
you know, the segmentation of our, of our country, the things that have come out in the Israeli community are so dispiriting and so disconcerting and so upsetting. I'm, I'm just like, you know, we're, I'm angry. I have this anger. And so, like, I post these things on Facebook and people send me these very nice, like, uh, instant messages saying, you know, maybe you, like, take a break from Facebook, which is definitely true. Okay, I guess I made my point. I'm three minutes in. What are we supposed to do? How are, I mean, we all know that COVID's going to end. But A, we don't know when. There's no guarantee that there won't be a this mutation or that mutation. How does a person find a sense of optimism? Can a person find, me, not a person, can I find a sense of optimism and hope in a morass of covid and self-centeredness and abandonment of Torah values in the name of Torah values and, you know, all that. Fix it. Make me feel better. <laughs> okay. So Where do you want to start? And by right, the, way, yeah, we're, the, way, the way we discuss this, just for the listener, we discussed this before. I'm going to push back. I'm going to let Ma Molly's going to say things. I'm going to push back. I'm going to turn to Johnny because, uh, because I want it to sort of be an ongoing discussion, a conversation, and less of a lecture. So just so you all know that moving forward. Okay, yeah, so, so first of me. all, okay, so first of all, the truth is that we had decided that we were going to talk about hope, right? That was what we decided that we were going to talk about. And so I, I do want to talk about hope and I do want to address everything you said from that specific lens because that's what we decided to talk about today. But I will also say that, you know, if I were talking to somebody like you and it weren't on this podcast, right, which has happened, people have called me privately, there are a lot of things that you said that I would address, right? I wouldn't just say, oh, well, the solution is let me just tell you about this awesome quality called hope, right? I would, I, I would maybe, you know, deal with a lot. You brought up there are a lot of issues and I would unpack a lot of them. But because um, we decided that we were going to talk about hope, that's that's where I'm going to focus. Just, can you just, li I mean, I'm not a therapist, so just list them for me. What were the issues so that I can talk well, about Well, when you spoke, this? I would say... What did you hear? What did, what did I hear? hear? Well, uh, first of all, in terms of emotions, right? Which we're going to get to because it's going to be a piece of hope. But which is, what, what what do we do with all these negative emotions? How do we, how do we, how do we regulate emotions? Um, another piece that I think I would have, I would have kind of tried to figure out, like, what's what's bothering you the most? Is it is it hopelessness and helplessness? Is it dealing with negative emotions? Is it... How, and again, I've had personal conversations about issues like, how do I relate to other people when I'm deeply disappointed in their behavior? How do I maintain um, positive views of others, both individuals and communities, when the way that they're behaving doesn't, doesn't live up to standards that I set for myself or that I previously set for them? That's a whole different conversation. I mean, that's a 45-minute conversation. I had somebody that, that in which I didn't mention the words the word hope at all, right? So like... That's a different conversation, right? But does that make sense? Yes, it does. I also, um, Johnny, I want you to take note of this because what I, I, I guess also, and this is sort of our RZ kind of thing, one of the things that's most distressing to me is that here we have a community, we, we, are, we are faced with a community that ostensibly speaks in the name of Torah and represents ideals of Torah and will represent in the future to the world the world thinks about them in terms of what Judaism represents. And to me, uh, the, the things that I hold so dear in my life have been completely trampled upon in the eyes of so many people in the world. How am I supposed to relate to that? I'm sorry, so just if, as, you're, as you're thinking, like, I, you know what I'm saying? I think that's one of the things that's weighing on my, I, I dedicate my life to teaching Torah to other people. I have, you know, and it's like almost, it causes these feelings of use in a sense of, 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 of giving up. 
What like I can't go against that. How, how am I going to you know solve the problems of the world when communities that in the minds of most people represent Torah are, are doing things that are so antithetical to what I hold dear, to what I hold important. So I'm going to turn to Johnny for that. That's like an ideological question. Molly, I turn to you for the therapy question. Hope me. Hope all of us. Okay. So, what do you think? All right. So I'm going to, so do you want me to leave? I'm going to leave aside the yeah, theology yeah. question. Exactly. Uh, exactly. We'll leave that to Johnny, even though obviously he's what to say. <laughs> he's that. Really? That, that, no, no. I have what to say about that, but, but that's not, again, that wasn't what we had said we were going to talk about. It's good that so. I have all the questions today. I don't have to have any yeah, answers. Yeah, I know. Because again, I had a, I had a 45 minute long conversation with somebody really about that, but that's not what we're, I, I want to talk about hope a little bit because that's what, that's what we had spoken about. Okay. So I, I just want to open by saying that there was an email that I saw about, um, worrying about our kids, and this and this was, was an email because I, you know, on all kinds of email lists of, of mental health professionals. This is what it said: If you're worried about the long-term effects of the pandemic on your kids, then this email is for you. Research show, shows the typical result of difficult experience is post-traumatic growth, not post-traumatic stress. And I want to open with that because wh- wh- why is that m- meaningful? With, with, with basically that, and then there's a, le- a lecture attached that you can listen to. But what it's basically arguing is that we can use difficult opportunities, difficult situations as an opportunity for growth. But, and I want to be very careful, there's something called toxic positivity. You can even Google it if you're interested. I'm not interested in selling toxic positivity, which is everything is great and look for the positives in Corona. And look how, how much we're all off social media and how much we're spending time with our families and denying all the negatives that are going on. Because I, the first thing I want to do is really validate that you're at the end of your rope. Everybody's at the end of their ropes. I'm starting to see more and more um, of the effects on on teenagers, on children, on adults, we, we are really in a mental health crisis, and I don't want to minimize that at all. And and I think it's really important to take note of that and to start from that place. We're really in a mental health crisis. That being said, right? I, what I want to say about hope is that the good thing about hope is that it's not as opposed to optimism, which is basically a feeling, right? And some people are more naturally optimistic than others. Hope is actually a mindset that can actually be learned and and worked on and that if we, we and can be taught and we can actually learn how to be more hopeful and and to this to me was actually very um, meaningful because I'm not a very naturally hopeful person. I'm actually much more of a naturally worrying pessimistic per- pessimistic person. So to, I so I ended up doing a lot of research on hope. I found it. This is also because I, I'm on a group. Uh, it's actually a mindfulness group, and I, I spent a day in a, a, on New Year's. They had a mindfulness, the day of mindfulness, and one of the speakers was from this organization called Hopeful Minds, and they've created curriculum to help to teach children, teenagers, and parents how to cultivate hope. And they've done studies and research that demonstrates that if you teach hope, right, the the, the positive benefits of hope of hope are. Uh, obviously, besides greater emotional happiness, greater success in school, um, lower lower incidence of violence, right? There are all these incredible benefits to teaching people to be hopeful, and 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 basically, what they've demonstrated is that this actually is a skill that can be taught. So let me start by defining what hope is, right? How how is hope defined in this perspective? So there's the, the researcher who who. Um, who's done most of the hope research, his name is Charles R. Snyder. And the way he defines hope is that it's the belief that you can make positive things happen. You you can create goals, you have agency to make those goals happen, right? And that you can find the pathways towards making those happen. And Ruben, when you were like, 
I know what my goal is. My goal is to teach Torah, right? But but I'm feeling hopeless and helpless because I don't feel like I can, that I have either agency or pathways to, to do that in, in today's reality, right? And so the question is, how can we restore some of that hope, right? Some of that belief that, no, you actually do have agency, right? You actually can do this and we can we can help you set goals and we can re, 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 reinstate your belief that you could actually make this happen, give you that sense of agency and help you find those pathways. Does that all make sense so far? Yeah, but it's interesting. Thank you. That's really interesting. And I want to I want to bring Rob Johnny into this. My hopelessness is not about me per se, interestingly. Like I don't like I I it's interesting. I used to be much more anxious. I would have thought that at this point I'd be like not sleeping at night and I sleep good. My hopelessness or my anxiety is about larger processes that I see happening because of Corona. Right. I mean, they, they have exposed huge rifts that I thought we had overcome or that we could overcome. I used to think like when, uh, maybe because, uh, maybe I should, I should just not think about these things, but I, I worry about our future as a people. I, re I really do. Because, and because, like I remember, remember when there was like, um, you know, the, the, the operations in Gaza? And remember that feeling of unity among the Jewish people that, you know, okay, whether you're there or not, everybody's coming like to make hamburgers and make, give haircuts to soldiers. And it was just this feeling of achdut after this, the terrible kidnapping of those boys. And today, and it was terrible, and there were rockets, but you didn't, I mean, you cared about the rockets, you like hid from the rockets, but rockets weren't the problem. Rockets are a temporary thing. But the feeling of unity was such an all-encompassing thing that you felt you could overcome anything. And, and now I feel like exactly the opposite. You know, most of us, most of us, thank God, the vast majority of people are not getting sick with COVID. And if they are, it's mostly an inconvenience. There are, of course, people who are suffering but the vast majority of people that we know, they're, they're not suffering from COVID in a personal way, other than you know, if you lose your job, economically people are suffering terribly. But my anxiety is a much larger one about what are these rifts that we see uh, exposing? Now, if you'd ask me, do I have agency? I do, I really feel I have agency to do the things that I'm doing. But about the larger things, about those bigger problems, about the larger goals that I have in life, I feel very much Hopefully. Can I just say, I want to say one thing about yeah, that yeah. before you turn it to Johnny. Johnny, we're, ready to turn, is, again, we're turning to you. Yeah, we're turning to you. I'm ready. Okay, okay. Before we turn to Johnny, I, I, I do want to say this. Again, there's so much to you say about. Maybe you could say, like, <laughs> Look, you don't one have second. to solve the world's problems. One second. Okay, so what I want to say, first of all, I do want to talk more about hope because I, I think there's a lot more to say that's really important. But before we do, I want to address, because you raised it, and I think this is such an important life lesson. Um, this, Stephen Covey is the one who made the picture that I, I always, I share this with almost everybody that I encounter. And the language that I, that I just found in this whole, you know, curriculum, the way they say it is control the controllables. What does this mean? So if you make a circle, right, you can make a circle of all the things they're worried about, Ruby. And then you throw in their achdos and the future of the Jewish state, the future of Am Yisrael, and, and, and what's going to be, right? Those are all in your circle of concern. Inside that circle is a smaller circle. That's called the circle of influence. That's where, right, you actually have agency, right? Now, wisdom in life, and, and I would say even peace of mind in, mind in life is knowing what's in which circle and how to relate appropriately to each circle, right? So hope, right, and, and what I would answer you in your question is, all you can do in this world is focus on your, in terms of agency and doing, is focus on the circle of concern. 
and act in that circle. Figure out what you have control over and act in that circle and figure out what you don't have control over. And if you don't have control over it, literally, I, I, I do this with, with people all the time. Put like make two circles, right? If you, if you had two circles, I'd say put in the outside circle. What's going to be with Klal Yisrael? How are the Haredim going to respond? What's going to be with Achtos? That would be in the outside circle. Anything in the outside circle, if you can't do anything about it, you have to let it go. Now, again, because we're spiritual people, I would say that you turn over to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right? Because you can't do anything about it anyway. That's where Amuna comes in. What you can, where, and then you think, wait, what can I do something about, right? And knowing those difference, knowing that distinction already gives a peace of mind. There are going to be things that are in my circle of concern that are not in my circle of influence. I can't do anything about them. Worrying about them, despairing about them, it, it's, it's not going to help. There's nothing I can do. So all I can do in that circle is let that stuff go. And then I can focus on the stuff that's in the earnest circle. And that's where I focus, again, um, action, agency. And, and again, there's, there's a lot more to say, but I know we want to turn it over, for, turn it over to Johnny. Johnny, do you agree with Molly that Achdud and Klai Yisrael is out of our circle? Out, I, I didn't say it was out of the circle. I said the way you described it, there might be, you have to decide for yourself, Ruby, what's in your circle and what's outside of your circle. But you have to, it really is the lo alecha, Lagmor. But you have to decide what I give to Kaddish Baruch Hu. I have to let Johnny talk. But you understand what I'm saying? You're saying something interesting. Maybe what's so disconcerting to me, and as we get older, we learn this. You know, there's a famous ma'amar that I used to think I could change the world. I don't know who said it. I used to think I'd change the world. Yeah, now I'm just right. Right, famous thing. Like, Johnny, what do you think? Do you, you agree with Molly? Salva, save me. So I, I'm going to, I'd like to uh, just talk through three models. And I think my conclusion may disagree with Molly, but, but perhaps we'll find a common ground. Because as Molly said, we'd originally kind of chosen a topic called hope. And, and a lot of us have lost a lot of things over this very difficult period of time. And I think all three of us have, have experienced some challenges, but we all know people who experienced many more and our hearts go out to them. But uh, there's been an impact on education, on the economy, on our social life, on our religious life, on our sanity. All of those things apply to us and I think most people. So I began by thinking about hope and hopelessness by saying, is it like we've lost a thing? You know, the first uh, Talmudic tract I studied was Elam right? Um, and there we learn about Hashavat Aveda, returning a lost property. And there we have that concept of Yiush, of giving up hope when you don't think things are going to come back. And part of the challenge of COVID is we're not quite sure when things are going to return. So I first thought about, is this situation like losing a thing when you're not quite sure if it's ever going to come back? And so there's a there's this balance, there's this tipping point of hope and hope. I have to stop you for a second because first of all, I think that's so deep. And well, I'm going to say I'm going to give you two other it's models. So deep. Right? One second, and it makes me think of the classic Gemara about Yushalomidat. That there oh, are sometimes, right. sometimes situations where a person loses something, and and gives it up, but doesn't know he's even lost it. And he only finds out that he lost it later. So I was like, I have to, I have to wrap my head around that. It just go ahead. Right. So, so, but so model number one is, have we lost, is what we've lost like a thing that's been lost? And either we've consciously or, uh, or subconsciously given up hope of ever seeing it again, or the very fact that we don't know when that's going to occur is itself an expression of hopelessness. That's model one. Model two, I thought actually maybe our situation is less about losing a thing than actually being sick. You know, 
there are times in life where we have low days and we have down days. What do we do? We have ways to re-energize ourselves. So I may go for a teal. I may go and see some friends or family. You know, I may go out and, and uh, treat myself and my wife. And yet all of those social medicines are unavailable. The kind of places I go to kind of get a refreshing of my soul are unavailable. I live 10, 15 minutes away from the desert. Once in a while I just drive there and I'm inspired by what I can see. But I don't have permission to drive there. Uh, I don't have permission to go out with my family. I haven't got permission to see friends and family in the same way. So is it like I'm sick and I haven't got the medicines? And that's where the hopelessness is coming from. So that's model B. So is it is our situation like a thing or is it like a sickness of which what's frustrating is we don't have the medicines to better ourselves, which technically aren't so hard, but because of the situation are beyond reach. But there's a third model, which is, are we like we're in prison? And now, it's not to say that a mean person is putting us in prison, but are we feeling imprisoned? And the thing about being in prison, as the Gemara says, is a prisoner can't release himself from prison. I need somebody else to help me get out. And I believe that that's perhaps a more accurate model of where we're at. You see, and this isn't just about Israel, it's around the world. What COVID has reminded us of in a, after decades of thinking that we can do things alone, in decades of thinking that help can be achieved merely by ourselves, COVID has reminded me that however good I am, however righteous I am, however strict I am with all the rules, my freedom is dependent on a variety of factors, health of, which isn't necessarily in control of any individual people, but also the behavior and the responsibilities shown by people in my local and the global society. And so yeah, but, uh, I think that's I, a more back, accurate Johnny, model of where we're you. at. I'm not in a prison. I'm in a boat. We're all in right. this boat. And there's right. a so guy, that, that phrase and you know, used. You, like, you know that famous thing, like, you're drilling a hole in the boat. Right. And so you go to the guy and you say, well, would you stop? And he says, what right do you have to tell me not to drill a hole in the boat? Right, but that, that's the Yerushalmi's description of, of actually, it's, it's an interesting description of taking revenge with one another, right? Uh, but uh, what what that simply does is highlight the interdependence of humanity. And so I believe the model of prison is still accurate because I can't release myself. I need others. And so I think what's hit us and certainly what's hit me is in a world where I thought so much I can do independently, I realized how totally dependent I am on so many other people. Now, I think there are frustrating things about that. Because right now we're coming up to a year being at home, almost a year. I haven't, you know, seen inside my shul, haven't seen friends, family, and we all have our own different things. But there's also, notwithstanding the pain and the loss, which brings tears to my eyes, and I know you too as well, there's also something extraordinary, which it's reminded me how interconnected we are. It's reminded me, and I happen to be of teaching a class about Judaism and the teachings of Rabbi Sachs. He defines Judaism not as a religion, nor as a nationality or race, but as a family. And it's reminded me how the global population is ultimately a global family, and we're all related. And what some people do affects other people. And I can point fingers and shout and scream, but unless we work together, all of us stay in the limitations of whatever governmental system we're living within.
Now, Did, that, that, that makes course, you feel better? It, what it, it, first and foremost, I think in order to, to know how, what's the right response, you need to understand where you're at. Is it I'm looking for something I can't find anymore? Is it I'm sick? Or is it I'm stuck somewhere? You know, ask Natan Sharansky. He was in prison, but was his him hopeless? Think about the movie Shawshank Redemption, whose ultimate meta theme is about hope, even when you're stuck in prison. It Once I know where I'm at, it helps me figure out what do I need and what buttons need to be further pressurized to help move things forward. I can't solve things. No individual person can. But that's exactly the point. So going back to what Mali said, and I'm going to stop talking. What, what basically she's saying is your control of yourself. She's entirely right. I say that's true, but I realize that I, I may only be in control of myself, but my fate isn't decided only by myself. And that's a challenge to the modern way of looking at the world. That's why it's hit so many people so sharply. In a world where all, all of us are roughly the same age, we've been grown up into thinking that whatever we want, we can get. Broadly speaking, it's really up to us. You have and control, said, uh, right? Uh, and this is like, you don't, you don't have control. You're not in control. Nahon. Okay, we're going to come back to Mali because I see Mali has something to add. Yeah, okay. We'll do that, wait, after a word from our sponsor. Hi there, this is Rabbi Johnny Solomon, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my virtual learning community, as well as the opportunities I've now created for people to have sessions with me for spiritual coaching, for halachic consultations, and for one-to-one -one learning. Have you ever faced a situation where you want to get some advice about your spiritual direction, religious choices you're making, and you're not quite sure who to turn to? Or perhaps there is somebody you'd like to talk with, but they simply haven't got the time. Or maybe you have a Sheila, and rather than wanting a simple answer, you want to have a better understanding of the sugya of the issues involved. Over many years, people have turned to me for advice. And as a result of that, I've now created a virtual learning community, where I am, for many people, a virtual rabbi of sorts. People turn to me and... I make time so that I can hear from them, talk with them, help them grow, and give them guidance, direction, and understanding. To find out more, please visit my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, where you can either book in for a standalone spiritual coaching, halachic consultation, or one-to-one -one session, or where you can join my VLC, my virtual learning community. Thank you. And we're back. Molly, you wanted to respond to Johnny? Yeah. yeah you wanted to? Yeah, please. I wanted to add something. First please of all, I, I liked, I, I, think, I think, Johnny, those were very helpful, those, those models of looking at, like, what's my, you know, which state am I in? And it could be that different people feel that they're in different states. And I want to mm. just add that 100%. that feeling of, like, when you describe the boat, I remember saying that to my husband in 1993 or 94 during Oslo. I'm like, the problem with this country is that, like, I, we're all on the same Titanic. And if they steer me towards an iceberg because they're in they, whoever they are, are in power, I drown with them. You know, you know what I'm saying? Even if I cast my vote for the other guy, that's the problem. I felt that same sense of hopelessness and helplessness that you're describing. It's not unique to COVID. It's, it's part of the human condition. And I think Johnny's very right that we're being reminded of that. But what I want to talk about now a little bit is what we can do, right? Because I think that's, that, that, that's really, I hope, what can be helpful. 
because it doesn't matter. We're all in a very bad situation. How, what can, how can we help ourselves in a situation like this? So again, this is how I want to define hope. I want to define hope as a combination of positive feelings and inspired action. Now, inspired action is a little bit easier to talk about. I think it's simpler because of what we said before. Inspired action means finding a pathway towards figuring out um, what my goals are and how I can how I can find agency to make change. And by the way, there a big piece of that is always going to be interconnectedness and social support because it always is, which is also a big part of what Johnny said. But I want to talk for a minute about this piece called positive feeling, okay? Um, because and it's really important to talk about feelings and understand feelings because when I talk about feelings, my usual line is there are no good feelings or bad feelings. Feelings just are. Feelings are like weather. They come, they go, right? It's, I don't believe anger is a bad feeling, a feeling we shouldn't have. All feelings are legitimate. They're valid. You, can't, you, you should not be angry at yourself. Feelings are, are a message from your psyche that are there to tell you something. And they're, they, they're there to be accepted and processed. However, and this I really found very useful in the Hopeful Minds curriculum, and I'm giving them the credit because I, I love the way they formulated this. There's, there is a difference between positive feelings that we enjoy having and negative feelings that we don't enjoy having, right? So they're all equally valid. They're all weather. They all will come up inside of us. They'll all arise inside of us, but we can deal with them differently, and we have to be able to identify them and to know how to deal with them. So Ruby, you're describing now a lot of negative feelings that are arising, right? Hopelessness, helplessness, anger, frustration, despair, right? So so how? what are some things we can do with negative feelings? So the first thing to understand is that... Um, I don't want to get too like technical and biological, but but I, I, usually I, I, I when I talk to people I, I describe um, how the brain is built and the the what what what, what you could call it the downstairs brain and the upstairs brain the 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 the, the, the like um, the part of the brain the, the lower I mean, if everybody can see I'm making a fist and I have like my my top fingers over my thumb the first that lower part that's where our fight fight or freeze system exists that's where most of your that's where your stress Right? That's where your stress response is. That's, those are your most automatic feelings. And those, that's where your negative feelings live. Right? And that makes sense because we've, we, 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 we developed um, evolutionarily to notice danger. We notice nine times more negative things than positive things. And that's good because if we didn't, we would be eaten by the tigers. Right? The person out there who was noticing the beautiful tree was eaten. Whereas the person who noticed the snake survived. Right? So um, that's very helpful. And therefore, we, we naturally have that automatic... We're very attentive to our negative feelings. Now, on the uh, again, if you I know you guys can't see this, but the higher the higher order functions that are on the higher level brain, with what they call the upstairs brain, that's where emotional reasoning is, that's where language is, that's where logic is. Okay, those are higher order functions. Okay, so hope actually exists in the higher level part of our brain. But the first thing we have to do is attend, and this this is what I this is the point that I want to make. We have to learn how to attend first to those negative feelings. And then once we've attended to the negative feelings, then we can move to making space for and focusing on encouraging the positive feelings. Like Johnny said, what, what, what gives me positivity? Okay, yes. So how do I, I do that? How do you do, do that? Do so this is called learning how to deal with stress, right? This is, uh, this is like um, learning skills for coping with stress. How do you Good do it, Ruby? Good. I'll tell you how to do it. First of all, you need, it's really important to know that um, your most intense negative re reaction, like that most instinctive, you read an article about a funeral of 100,000 people and that those negative feelings that come up, that's your, again, that's your, 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 your stress response kicking in, is usually 90 seconds long. So if you can hold it for 90 seconds, 
you'll probably feel better. That's one of the first things is the 90 second rule. The next thing to do is how do I emotionally regulate these feelings? Okay. And, and again, the way you do it is to recognize the feeling, notice it, label it, hold it with acceptance and compassion. And there are all types of, of skills you can do, whether that's breathing, listening to music, um, um, meditating, grounding, grounding yourself in, the, in your body, right? There's a thing called the five, four, three, two, one, five things I see, four things I hear, three things I can feel, two things I can smell, one thing I can taste, so that you're, you're grounded in your body as opposed to spiraling off into your negative emotion, right? So there are all types of skills that you can learn to hold that negative emotion, right? To kind of surf the wave of it, to, let, to, to kind of let it exist within you, label it, understand it, hold it, and have compassion for it. It's normal, it's, it's human, it's actually helpful because it's, it's, it's there to, to tell you something, to give you, an, to, to like activate you to either defend yourself or to, to, to right a wrong that you're seeing. So, so, it's, so you, you wanna learn its message, but the first thing you need to do is, is regulate it. Okay, does that, does that all make sense? Yeah, no, I mean, it does, but it, those are, like you said, skills that you have to learn. It, those not, are skills you have to learn. Now again, the good thing is you can learn these skills. You can teach these skills to children. You can practice them yourself. You, I, I, I didn't say this was easy. I said that this was, I think this works and I think it, it's good. Nobody promised you. I, I was actually kind of hoping uh, you know, you'd solve me in the, exactly, in the, like that. the podcast you episode. Right. But, but again, <laughs> the good news is it's not as hard as you think. I have, no, I, I have to say, well, I, I, I don't want people to get the wrong impression. I'm no, not no, walking I, around angry. We're, using, we're, I mean, we're all you, Ruby. We're all you, right? We're all feeling the same stuff. But I also I'm every man here. Just you are. Okay. Also knowing, by the way, th think again, I always think of emotions as weather, right? Does the weather ever stay the same? It always passes. Knowing that about emotions is also important, right? You, the intensity of your emotion will not, when you're feeling it, you, it's very easy to feel like you can drown in it. To kind of step back and to, and to relate to the emotion as something that's like, it's like a cloud. It's coming. It's going to go. I'm bigger than it. I can hold it. And eventually it's going to pass. That's helpful. Okay, but again, okay. wait, but so can I say I, one more thing? One, one, well, yeah, can you guys, I guess, ask your question before I, I say one more thing? I mean, one more I, thing. I was going to say, well, you know, I, I have to say I have my own personal coping mechanism, mechanisms. Um, some of them are like I, I have a regular exercise regimen mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. and that two things are important. One, exercise is important. I like I would go crazy without it. And two, it's the regularity of it, the mm -hmm. structure of it, you know, that structure. Mm -hmm. And I think people don't realize one of the reasons that that minion and the closing of shuls is so damaging is because yeah. so many of us men yeah i mean like the dominant and the minion but it's our structure that's the structure of our lives and when you take that away from someone that's very very disorienting i think people don't really understand that that's number one number two like johnny sort of mentioned it well johnny i don't know if you know this but exercise you're allowed to do even more than a kilometer from your house so if you want to go to the desert all you have to do is walk there so I actually it's a 50 minute drive. That's OK, but, but I run, yeah, it's not, it's not I run literally around I the, corner, run in the yeah. fields around Yad Vinyamin and it is my sanctuary, especially now. I, I dragged my wife there today. It is beautiful and gorgeous and just re re energizing. So I think nature and exercise and structure work for me. Molly, you want to say anything else, but I, I sort of wanted to turn back to Johnny because let, let's just say I solve my my personal angst. Johnny, do you do you share my concern about the broader rifts that we're seeing now? And I, forget the anxiety, the personal anxiety, but I have deep concern. And I have to say, I like I, I see trends about this also. 
we're, we're, we are religious people. We're all teachers and educators. In some way, I, I see people sort of losing a sense of their religiosity because of it. And I'm not talking about, about Kirov, which is going down the drain for a lot of people. Like if you run a Kirov organization, and I'm sure people listening to this do, I can't imagine how hard it is now because the, the people are acting in the name of religion in, in a highly antithetical way. But there's a sort of like, like you mentioned it before, the idea, like you said, a Yush sort of resonated with me so strongly that what is religiosity if it brings people to act in a way that's so antithetical to what I believe? Like, and I'll, I'll say it in a way that I don't believe, but I'm sort of, I'm, I'm, why am I even doing this? It, it, do you understand what I'm asking you, in a sense, what I'm articulating? How would you respond to that? So I, I would respond, and, and just to date where we're at, we're recording today on February 2nd, Groundhog Day. <laughs> I, I say that because for a lot of people, that's a lot, uh, that is a description of what their life has been for much of the last year. But in the last few days, uh, with much regret, there have been a number of very public and very publicized um, funerals of, of leading rabbis who died from covid where gatherings shouldn't have taken place uh, and which have deeply angered and disappointed many people. And it's important just to frame that. Uh, and uh, and I do so just as a description of what's gone on. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, truth be told, about two funerals. One was uh, the the funeral of of, 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 of Mashum David Soloveitchik. And we know there was a global furor as to what happened and what the police did, and you both know that I've said and I've said many times on this on this show that I'm strongly against, vehemently against those broad terms of the Haredim. You know, some people do good things, some people do bad things, some people do dangerous things, uh, and my feelings about that event should be pretty obvious, I think, to anybody who listens to us. But but then. Within the same 24 hours, late at night, I, I sat from where I'm sitting now and watched a, a really moving funeral of Rabbi Twersky, where a handful of people came together, stayed separate, wearing masks, singing a niggun that he had brought to the world and lifted people, somebody who cared about life, somebody who prevented thousands of deaths and inspired many others to do so. So I have a choice. I can focus on one or I can focus on the other. Fundamentally, to say one is religion, one is not, you know, that, that's hard to, to say. One is a description of, of religion wrongly lived, in my humble opinion, uh, and one is a, a description of religion which is, is a masterclass of what you can do to, to bring goodness to the world. But it's really up to me which one I choose to focus on. And that... I, I want to come back to what Mali is saying, which is we are interconnected. And when people do things which are wrong and put lives at risk and people do die, it bothers me, it aggrieves me. However, I've also been fairly um, uh, reluctant to overly focus on that for a couple of reasons. Number one is I think a lot of times <laughs> I can write about it, but plenty others are doing so. My, no my opinion is, is pretty well known. More significantly, though, is that there are other things I can focus on which can lift me and lift many other people. And rather than focusing on the wrong, 
I can also celebrate the right and teach people about it. And I feel that that's my task in this world is to teach people how to do things right, not merely to emphasize what is a wrong that I can't change what's taken place regrettably. And I just want to end, and I know why he wants to say something. I want to end with a, uh, uh, with a quote, a quote actually that embellished my eldest daughter's uh, bat mitzvah invitation because her name is Meira. And uh, Rav Cook has a beautiful line. Which translates as, When the soul is illuminating, even a cloudy sky can give bright light. I think a lot of us can accept the fact that the world seems pretty cloudy. There are a lot of difficult things going on, a lot of uh, challenges we're all facing. Certainly, people are working in hospitals, educators, people with stores people working in cemeteries, they've been going to hell and back. Our task is to actually find the light within and try and share that while knowing that we are totally connected. So I want to share the stories of Rabbi Twersky, not, not the negative stories. I know those. They, these need to be addressed totally. I'm not uh, in any way defending them. But it's my choice which I focus on, and I think that itself speaks about whether I'm a chooser of hope or or Machusa of hopelessness. Okay, thank you, Johnny. I, I sort of want to respond and then turn to Molly and, and ask the following question. Like, in the past couple of days, I said, I, I like, one, I, I shared a, a fa on Facebook a post of that just, I was just so upset by, um, you know, a, a, an email solicitation that I got from a Haredi institution using the police and, uh, and the COVID as an example for for fundraising, and I was very outraged by it. And somebody said, well, why, why are you speaking out? Why do you have to say this? And my answer is as follows. We live especially, I, I, I'm not going to speak for an America, but my experience in Israel has clearly indicated that in this country, for better or for worse, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And that if you're quiet about something, if you don't make enough noise, people will just ignore you. And they, they, there's so much else going on that the politicians will ignore you, leadership will ignore you. And, you know, and so I, I've now come to the feeling, like you said, well, you, things, things you can control, things you can't control. Until we start crying out and saying, this has to stop, this must stop, and the authorities must take, the people in charge must do their part to stop it, or I won't vote for you. Until the, enough people hear that, it will continue. And so you asked me, like, we don't, Molly spoke about the idea of lack of agency or I, things I can control, things I can't control. I'm not willing to give up that control because if we all do that, it will only get worse. That's kind of my feeling. So on the one hand, Molly, like, you know, focus on the good. Like, of course I want to focus on the good. But if I spend my time focusing on the good and ignoring all those people that are doing those terrible things, it, it's just like a death spiral because it's only going to get worse. So how do I balance... The, the, the need or the feeling that I have to speak out. You know, like those crazy stories about the Godolium. Did you, did you say anything? Did you speak out? And, you know, sometimes I just feel like I, as a person that people see as a rabbi, have to say on Facebook, I decry this. I deplore this. I am a religious person. It's not, it's, they're, not, they're, they're not representing the religion I represent. And as a citizen of Israel, this has to stop. Versus... Focus on the light, spread the light, spread the good, which I obviously think is good and important, but... Right, so, so I'll, I just want to briefly respond, and I know Mario wants to. I agree with you. Trust me, I agree with you. 
I agree with 100% wholeheartedly. But I'm saying to speak and know that what you're going to say is not going to make much of a difference actually isn't to channel your energies for the constructive. I believe go and talk to people. I mean, go there, literally, make leaflets to whichever neighborhood, right? Speak, call, pick up a phone to whomever person. I'm saying actually take the frustration and take it to the address in which it needs to be heard. But the ephemeral voices of objection to people who are often our echo chamber, I don't think is a good way, and this I'm speaking really about what Marty's saying, to channel our emotions because actually nothing, nothing's going to necessarily... Uh, occur as a result of that so I'm a strong believer and I've gone to protests I've gone to places uh, and, and you know stood up stands I've, I've confronted people for whom I, I feel um, have done things which are morally wrong I believe in that I don't necessarily believe there's much efficacy in in the the confused world in which we live whereby we often speak to people we all ag agree with and say this is wrong we all say it's wrong but actually tomorrow is no different and this is a difference between optimism and hope optimism is to think that tomorrow will be different hope is to take the actions to make it different and to take and to make the actions is actually to engage with people you know i'll just end with one quick uh, movie reflection which is you all, I presume you're all familiar with the last scene of Top Gun, obviously, right? So they're in this dogfight, right? And a Maverick sees this terrible dogfight and he says, it's not good, it's not good. I did not see disengages. you going to Top Gun. I just have to say that. I didn't see Oh, it. come on, right, exactly. Also, I, don't think, <laughs> I haven't seen is, Top Gun since 1986, but okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Of course you remember these things, right? So the truth is, a guy tutting from the sidelines of a terrible dogfight saying, it's not good, achieves absolutely not one bit, right? What matters is, do you engage? Do you genuinely engage? Do you take your plane into the dogfight and you act, and it's messy and it takes risks, but that's how battles are won. I feel that too many people are like Maverick at the beginning of the fight, whereby he's at the side, he's seeing it's terrible, he's saying, it's so terrible. I say, yeah, we know that, but tutting doesn't change a thing. Engage, Maverick, engage. I know it sounds ridiculous, but <laughs> I'm serious, which is, I know too many people. I love you, Johnny. I just they can't, think I can't like is good enough. Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what? A person oh can't quote it tomorrow. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen it too, but I think it's funny. Right. So, that's, so my belief is, and, and I say this in the most serious of ways, there are terrible phenomena that go on in the world. I just released, I was just a part of a video against sexual abuse, right, uh, uh, run by Migdal Emuna. It's easy to tut and make a generic post and say these things are bad. I say, do something about it. Concretize your words. Talk to people that matter, right? Make your voice really known. Go into the lion's den and say this is wrong. Because if you're not really prepared to do that, you don't really, really believe in it right you're you're basically a a personal opinion sitting on a comfortable couch and i'm not saying that's you specifically i'm saying you're a maverick who's who's not really in the battle so engage do things so if people really believe that there are there are significant shifts that need to occur among specific publications uh, 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 populations i'd say i beg of you to do that i beg of you to make that your energy if that bothers you and it should do but i do know that um, merely to offer opinions without 
channeling that doesn't shift from hopelessness to hope. Molly, it just maintains that mode. Okay, so first of all, and for the need for speed, right? Exactly. Take so it I, away because we're running out of time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first of all, yes, John, I agree with Johnny 100%. Brene Brown says this too. She always quotes there's a Franklin Roosevelt quote where he talks about, um, you know. Battles are not are won by the people who are willing to get into the arena and fight and fall and bleed and sweat and then and then get up and keep fighting. And so she makes this distinction between are you fighting in the arena? Or are you in the cheap seats uh, criticizing the people fighting in the arena? And she's like, you know, her respect is to the people who are fighting in the arena. I don't and, understand. Wait, Twitter on the side is not doing that? It's not yeah, doing that's the cheap seats. So she says, like, I don't take critic. Criti- I don't listen to the people in the cheap seats. If you're in the arena, then I, I then I'll listen to you. I'll engage with you. Telling me that I'm doing things wrong while I'm swinging down in the arena and you're twittering at me from the cheap seats I don't take that seriously and I think that's very right and very correct but I, I also yeah. want to go back to what Johnny was saying before about focus and bring it back and I, I just want to flesh out and frame this this kind of paradigm for hope right this this, this kind of like um, way of viewing it so again so the first thing is to manage your negative emotions and again, the way you do that is you give it compassionate acceptance and attention and you hold it within you as a piece of yourself and then you do whatever soothes you, right? And you can have a list and it could be exercising and journaling and uh, and again, music and okay. And you attend. And, and by the way, numbing is not a great way. Everybody, every once in a while you want to do some Netflix numbing, Facebook numbing, go for it. But just know numbing is not a healthy solution. It's, it's, it's actually... You're not in favor of alcohol either? I mean, not in favor of alcohol, not in favor of self-medication. It feels good in the short term, but when you numb negative feelings, you numb positive feelings, and you just end up numbing yourself out of life. But I want to also say, once you have learned, to, once you've learned those stress response soothing mechanisms, it's actually also true that you can foster positive emotions, right? And when you're in a place of, of positive emotions, you can actually be take many more actions, right? Johnny was talking about, take action for change. If you, when you, to get yourself to that place where you can take positive action for change, it's really helpful to put yourself in a place of positive emotions. How do you get there? Again, it might be the exact, many of the same things that you did to soothe your negative emotions. Maybe it's exercising, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's, it's definitely social networking in, in the real sense of the words, right? Tend and befriend, talk to a friend, hug a kid, play with a puppy, I, I, whatever it is, right? Do the things that, that fill you up and fill, and, 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 and fill you with positive energy. And in that place of, when you have that, those positive emotions, that's when you can actually start to think about, okay, now how am I going to put implement plans, right? Again, put together those, those ideas of agency and pathways and, and, and implement positive change. And I think there is place there, right? I think Johnny said it very well. That, that doesn't mean that there isn't place, Ruby, to speak out um, and, and to work for the goals that you, that might mean constructive criticism, but when it's coming from that place of, you're coming from a place of positivity and agency, I think it feels different. It's feeding off of different emotions than when it's coming from that, that, that downstairs brain of your instant negativity. And I just want to say one more thing about hopelessness and helplessness because, because of kind of your question. Um, so it was a very, very nice article specifically about hopelessness. And I want to mention one more thing, which I didn't mention, in e- e- which is humor. Humor really helps. Like watch a funny video, right? Like, like I'm not joking. Like humor is, is, is something that really fosters positive change. And the other thing I wanted to say, and, and with this I'll really end, is so when they talk about modeling healthy, healthy agency growth plans, they talk about future casting, right? See what you want, create a pathway to get it. But also, and this I think is important because Ruby, you touched on it, the, the other two things are contingency plans and regoaling, right? Contingency plan means what do I do if it doesn't work? 
what's my plan B if it doesn't work, right? Like Ruby, you're going to run Kita and your goal is to sign up X amount. What, what if only X minus 20 people sign up? What's going to be your contingency plan? So when you're, when you are making goals, having contingency plans, but even more important than contingency plans, I love this idea of regoaling. And to me, I wrote in parentheses, option B, right? Which was Sheryl Sandberg's book, her second book after she wrote, um, whatever, Lean <laughs> right? Well, with the book we can talk about in a different top conversation. But option B, right, it's, it's a very powerful message, right? I don't, the, 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 the meaning, the, the, the title of the book came when she, her husband had died and, um, and, and she had to go to like a parent-teacher's conference and she was talking to a friend of hers and she, and she's like, I, I don't do, I just don't want to go to, I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm going to just finish this up. I don't, I, I don't want to go to this parent, parent teacher conference. The, so the friend's like, well, what's your plan? She's like, well, plan is plan A. Plan A is for to go to the parent teacher conference with Dave. And the, the guy's like, Dave's not here. You need a plan B, right? And she's like, I don't want plan A. I want plan B. And he's like, well, you can't have plan A. You can have plan B. But the good news is you can do your best. And I think like he says, you know, you could kick the heck out of option B, out of plan B, right? And so to re-goal. So, so in this story, it was talking about, like, let's say somebody has, has, a, has a relative who, who's, who's very sick. And the first plan was for the relative to get well. And that doesn't work out. So plan A is gone. So what's plan B? Is plan B a dignified death? Is plan B helping the people around cope? Right. And so regoaling, I think, is really important. So, Ruby, when you talk about right, I, I had a vision and that vision is now not here. So you can again, you can you can be, get stuck in the negative responses or you can sue those and, and then move to the more positive feelings and try to re, regal and replan and have it and, and kind of create a new perspective in a new direction. OK. You're gonna, this is going to sound crazy. Other than the last thing, which I don't really think I understand. It was very quick. Maybe we have to talk yeah. about it a little more okay. at some other time. Um, you're, you're not going to believe this. Feel a little better. You know, kind of, kind of helped a little bit talking about this hope and positivity and not focusing on the negative, and especially the part about like, the awareness. I think awareness is really yeah. something that's really, really important and, and quite helpful and letting it pass, which is something I really, really strongly believe in. So thanks, Molly. Thanks, Rab Johnny. We don't have time for hamlatzot, which is thankful because I'm. Sh did either of you prepare any hamlatzot? Well, I was no. just going to say, uh, Molly, did you everybody hamlatzot? should just look up anything by Rabbi Tversky. That's what I was going to say. Just like, you know, read one of his books, listen to one of his videos. That was going to be my hamlatzot. Read, well, Let Us Make Man. That's probably, yeah. Yeah, that's probably the most important book. Mm -hmm. So thanks very much to both of you for this time and the thought and the energy. And I hope that our listeners actually got, got something out of this as well. We'd actually really love your feedback. If, if, you, if you feel that it was constructive, if you have comments, you know how to reach us on the, on the Facebook or the Instagram. We don't have Instagram on the WhatsApp. Uh, please uh, let us know what you think. This would be really be useful to us. So I want to thank Molly. I want to thank Johnny. Uh, if any of you don't know, Molly, uh, Johnny and I are hacking stuff all the time, but Molly's a licensed social worker, so reach out to her if you have further questions. I'm sure she'd be happy to talk to you. All right, my name is Ruben Spolter. I want to thank my son, Tatachia, for our music. Have a great weekend.